Now please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes as we're continuing through chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and our text is verses 12 through 17. Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 17. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Father, this is your word. Your word is uh, bread for our souls. Teach us from it. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Teach us about wisdom. Show us its value. Show us its limitations. And fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. You may have retirement accounts. Maybe you're investors or you're involved in in that sort of thing at some level or another. But when you purchase a mutual fund, perhaps you read the prospectus, or any time you maybe invest in some other class of assets, Whoever's, whoever your broker is, whoever it is that's selling you your mutual fund or other asset of some kind will provide or, or, or be sure that you hear a certain disclaimer Something along the lines of past performance is no guarantee of future results. You've heard that many times. Maybe you've even heard it on commercials for investment firms or mutual funds. Um, past performance is no guarantee of future results is simply secular investors' ways of stating a biblical truth. The biblical truth that we do not know what a day may bring. And there's no guarantee that a certain investment strategy is going to perform as it has in the past. There's no guarantee that a certain fund, although maybe it's doing well for the time being, that it's gonna to continue to do well. We just don't know because we don't know what a day may bring. Stuff happens. It's good to invest, it's wise, but success isn't guaranteed. And then, no matter how big your portfolio is, no matter how well all of your investments have done, when you die, you lose it all. 
Well, Solomon has been engaged in the pursuit of, of meaning. He's been looking carefully at all that life has to offer. And in this text, he comes to examine wisdom itself. Specifically, what he's looking at, or the question that he's asking is, what beneficial outcomes can wisdom provide? And what he discovers is that wisdom is of profound value, but it cannot be our ultimate reliance. Only Christ can provide abiding hope. Wisdom is of profound value, but it cannot be our ultimate reliance. Only Christ can provide abiding hope. Now, you might think, well, I don't see Christ's name anywhere in this text. Well, that's true. And Solomon did not know Christ by name, but he knew the Lord. And all Scripture ultimately points to Christ. And that, I think, is what this passage is saying about Christ. Only he can provide abiding hope. There's, there's good in wisdom. That's doubtlessly true. But wisdom has its limits. And so I've already sort of hinted at the three points in the outline. First of all, we're going to consider wisdom's excellence. How it excels folly. But then we'll see that wisdom has limitations. And finally, we'll try to draw on wisdom's insight about these things. Wisdom's excellence. The text that we're looking at tonight begins with these words, so I turned. And another way that it's been translated that I think it kind of captures what's going on here is, uh, I looked back to reconsider wisdom. Because you remember, uh, Kohelet, the preacher, Solomon, had delved into, in the text we looked at last time, he delved, delved into an extensive exploration just of pleasure, looking for meaning in pleasure, whether it was sensual pleasures of different kinds or whether it was the pleasure of work and achievement, accomplishments of different kinds. And after exploring every aspect, every possible angle or um, type of pleasure that he could pursue, the conclusion that he reached is that everything he had done was meaningless. Everything he had done was vanity. It left him empty. He had tried everything. And because Solomon was who he was, no one after him would be able to try anything he hadn't already tried. That's sort of what he's getting at when he says in verse 12, well, what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. In other words, Solomon says, I've done it all. I've tried everything. He had full access. Because of his tremendous wealth, there wasn't any endeavor that was too expensive for him to try. Because of the vast resources available to him, there wasn't any project that he wasn't under, able to undertake. Anything he wanted to do, anything that came into his mind, he could just go for it. His study of pleasure had been comprehensive, and it left him empty. So now he's circling back, and he's going to zoom in. He's going to focus on wisdom now, and he's going to study wisdom and in order to get greater appreciation, a clearer grasp on, on the value, the nature, 
and, and the prospects of wisdom, he, he sets over against it madness and folly, as he says in verse 12. He's, he's sort of looking at this to help shed light on that. And what he discovers, his, the assessment that he makes at the conclusion of this study uh, is that wisdom is excellent. It's great. In fact, he says there's more gain or more profit, we could say, in wisdom than in folly. And not just more, but exponentially more. We use the expression, when we see a huge change in something, we, we, we say, Boy, that's, the difference is like night and day. And he uses words that, that are similar to that sort of expression. Wisdom is a gift. Wisdom is a blessing from God, and it's such a blessing that Solomon likens it unto light. And wisdom as something that, that we as human beings can, can procure, can appropriate, as, as a possession, it's likened unto sight. A person who has wisdom as a person who can really see. If God has granted a person wisdom, it's like he's shined his light on that person's path. That's the nature of wisdom. And in contrast, a fool has no light. He may as well be blind. He doesn't, might, might as well not even have eyes in his head. But here's the thing about the fool. It's not simply a matter of ability. For the, pool, for the fool, it's not simply a matter of God withholding light or making him blind or taking away the sight that he had or refusing to give him sight. The fool, according to the Lord Jesus, not only is in darkness, but he loves darkness. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Why don't you turn there with me? John chapter 3, what we see in verse 19. After some of the best known words in all of Scripture. It says in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. And they didn't like the light being shined on their works. And so the wicked like the darkness because it covers up their wickedness. We were talking today at uh, Go Fish Gang about how oftentimes the wicked, uh, part of the reason uh, the, the rampant pursuit of wickedness so often also involves the use of drugs, or the abuse of alcohol is because the wicked are trying to use those things to muffle their consciences. Because they love the darkness, they love their wickedness, they don't want to turn from it, but their consciences gnaw at them. So they use these substances to try to dampen the voice of conscience. Or another way they do it is they, they have these rallies, they have protests, and they gather with lots of other people who like to pursue the same wickedness that they do, and they rant and they rave and they parade, and 
They feel that safety in numbers. And that also, to some extent, quiets their conscience. But that's what the wicked does. The fool has no light, he has no eyes to see, and he loves the darkness that he's in. And the contrast between wisdom and and folly is so great that it may as well be uh, like the difference between night and day. So Solomon concludes that wisdom is to be desired. Wisdom is excellent and we are commended and even commanded to pursue it. Listen to a couple of passages because if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know how often wisdom is is extolled and how often wisdom is commended to the reader. A father commends his son to pursue wisdom, encourages him. So in Proverbs 4, 5, we read, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 7, verse 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. In terms of the, the excellence of wisdom, Proverbs 16, 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than to get gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You see, wisdom is better than wealth. It's better than riches. That's how excellent it is. Or Proverbs 24, verses 13 and 14. The writer speaking to a son, the wise father speaking to a son says, my son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So Solomon sees and proclaims the excellence of wisdom to us. But then he also notices, and doesn't, uh, doesn't sweep under the rug, Wisdom's limitations. So in spite of the fact that wisdom excels folly, there's this stark reality before our faces, and it comes up in verse 14. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them, the fool and the wise. That... uh, That concept translated in the ESV, same event, could be translated incident, same incident, the same fate. So you've got the wise, you've got the fool. The wise has this this excellent resource, this wonderful gift called wisdom. And yet the things that happen to him, the, the fate, so to speak, that befalls him is the same as the fool. You see um, this theme coming up elsewhere in Ecclesiastes, and it'll be a while probably until we get there, but if you flip ahead and take a, take a preview of Ecclesiastes 9 with me, this is a sobering thought, and Solomon's already introducing this point back in the text that we're looking at tonight, but in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, Solomon says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, 
nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is, we might say, an evil. This is a reality in life in a fallen world. Now, it's important probably for us to take a moment to discuss the, the, a biblical understanding of, of those expressions we saw in Ecclesiastes 9 because you know, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that ultimately there are no accidents. We believe, and the Bible teaches, that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So from the divine perspective, there are no accidents. There's no, there are no surprises. There's no such thing as pure chance in that sense. But uh, that one commentator that I read this week uh, wrote uh, with regard to this, he said, on the, on the lips of an Israelite, chance means what is unexpected, not what is random. So when, the, when you see a, a biblical reference to chance, like that, uh, it's not the sa same exact word and it's usually not translated the same way, but um, there was a, in, a, in a great battle, there was, a, there was an archer who just drew his bow, it says at random, or in his innocence, or by chance, and, and just, he released the arrow, not realizing that his arrow was going to find the chink in the armor of a king. You may know the passage. Humanly speaking, we would say that's by chance. It's not chance in God's perspective, in fact, he ordained it. But the biblical understanding of time, or of chance, uh, I should say, uh, is more something that to us is unexpected, something that we don't see coming, something that we could not have predicted. And the, the preacher, Solomon, is kind of lamenting the fact that the thing that happens to the fool also happens to the wise. But it's a reality we face all the time, isn't it? I read somewhere that there are 99 traffic fatalities a day in the United States. We could round it up, let's say 100. 100 traffic fatalities per day in the United States of America. Now, I, every time a, a, a soldier in the U.S. Army dies in a traffic fatality or some other mishap of that kind, I receive an email. And I get these, they're called critical incident reports. And occasionally it'll be a, a soldier was driving under the influence of alcohol and he was driving uh, in far in excess of the speed limit, wasn't wearing a seat belt, and he had a collision, maybe a single vehicle collision, maybe not but he's doing all the wrong things and he paid for it with his life. Died in an automobile accident. A fool, not to be insensitive about it, but contrast that with um, earlier this year, one of the great lights, we might say, one of the fathers of the PCA died in an automobile accident, Harry Reeder. 
a man who's had a profound influence and tremendous ministry over the over long course of lifetime ministry he was killed in a car accident so the young foolish soldier who got drunk and drove his car and the faithful minister both killed in automobile accidents how the wise dies just like the fool there are some 1900 deaths per day in the u.s due to heart disease and some people who die of heart disease are people who have abused their bodies over long periods of time and they're overweight perhaps and haven't taken care of themselves and, and that uh, taxes their hearts to the point that uh, they die of some form of heart disease. But sometimes people die of heart disease who took care of themselves. We're doing all the right things health-wise and in terms of diet. There are some 1,600 deaths per day in the U.S. from cancer. There was a, um, a well-known and, and celebrated atheist by the name of Christopher Hitchens. Perhaps some of you have heard of him. He got uh, esophageal cancer and battled that for some time, I think a period of more than a year, perhaps a couple of years, and he eventually succumbed to the cancer. And he was a man who had spent his life and, and exercised all his powers of intellect warring against religion, warring against Christianity. He died of cancer. But then, so did our sweet sister Vicki Starkey, a dear woman of Christ who loved Jesus and loved Christ's church and served faithfully. Same with Donna Bender. Godly women. They died of cancer, so did Christopher Hitchens. Death doesn't seem to make a distinction, does it? The wicked and the foolish die, the wise die also, and there's no apparent contrast. And that's what Solomon's pointing out. That's what this passage from Ecclesiastes is point out, pointing out. And considered from a carnal perspective, which is what we take to mean, uh, or what's signified by that phrase, under the sun, Considered in that perspective, we find that the preacher is tempted to say, is it worth it to pursue wisdom? He reaches the conclusion, he makes the observation that the, the wise dies just like the fool, and then he says, why have I been so very wise? Is it worth it? What's the use? In other words, is there any ultimate benefit to living a moral life? In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, wisdom is primarily a moral characteristic. It's not as much, it does involve kind of head knowledge and wise application of principles, but it's, it's more fundamentally a moral thing. The wise man is a, is, a, is a morally upright man. And looking at the fact that their destinies and their fates don't seem to make, don't seem to be very different from one, one another. Solomon says, well, pff, why have I been so very wise if that's the way it is? He's making observations that we've all made. And you know that wisdom, if you have wisdom, it might lead you to drive defensively. It might lead you to be a responsible motorist, but wisdom won't shield you from accidents, won't 
Um, absolutely shield you from accidents, not even fatal accidents. Wisdom might guide you to make healthy lifestyle choices in terms of your diet and getting exercise and all those things we can do to take care of our bodies, but wisdom won't give you immunity from disease. Wisdom might give you favor with other people. It might garner respect for you, but it won't protect you from violence and malice of the wicked. Wisdom won't exempt you from the effects of aging or prevent the breakdown of the body. In all these circumstances, what happens to the fool happens to the wise. Look with me at verse 16 in our text. Because verse 16, although in the ESV it's translated at the, the end of the verse, it's translated as a single sentence, it can be translated as a question and answer. In other words, the end of that verse could be uh, read this way. How does the wise die? Just like the fool. Furthermore, there's no remembrance of the wise or of the fool. And you don't see it as much in English, but the, the language of verse 15 is, is very emphatic when he says, uh, what happens to the fool will happen also to me, happen to me also. He, he, it's as if Solomon is saying, what hap happens to the fool is even going to happen to me, despite all of my great wisdom. And that discovery leads some people to respond by saying, well, why bother? What's the use? And if anything, Ecclesiastes shows us that that response to these realities of life is nothing new. And that's where wisdom in, wisdom's insight comes in. That's our final point, wisdom's insight. Solomon, or the preacher, uh, realizes all these things. He sees these realities. He's not naive. And in one sense, all this may seem intuitive. It may seem like just common sense. And it is. And yet even knowing these realities, man continues relentlessly to look for ways to cheat death. The wise and the fool will alike die. Neither the wise nor the fool will be remembered. And in verse 17, Solomon says, in response to these truths, these, these facts of life, he says, so I hated life. Everything is grievous. Everything is vanity. On this reality of life in a fallen world, Benjamin Shaw wrote this. He said, and I hated life is the cry of the child who has just discovered that life is not fair. It is a true cry that adults have learned to stifle. And that is why Kohelet's blunt statement of it makes us uncomfortable. Death and the frail character of life are evil. It is the man who recognizes this who is truly wise. The fool disregards this painful truth to his own expense. Wisdom sees that what is done under the sun is vanity. Wisdom is good, but we need a wisdom that's beyond us. Wisdom is good, but we need a wisdom that is greater than we are. Everything done under the sun will be grievous. 
if you're putting your hope in things under the sun. It's really what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if, it, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we, Christians, are of all people most to be pitied. If everything we're focused on, if everything we're hoping on is here and now in this present life, under the sun, under heaven. We shouldn't fix our hopes on what is under the sun. We must look beyond the grave. We must look above this present world. So in this text, Solomon has proven that wisdom is good. In fact, it's not just good, it's very good. But he also shows that as a basis for reliance, wisdom ultimately fails. And then he helps us figure out what to make of all this. We need a transcendent wisdom. We need a wisdom that is not our own. So just a few points of closing application. First of all, the essence of folly, the essence of folly is to love darkness rather than light. The essence of folly is to suppress the truth, but this is what we all do naturally. This is what every human being does naturally, and even the believer who's been given a new heart and has been uh, quickened, brought out of death into life, we still have the old self who's, that's inclined to suppress the truth, inclined to love the darkness, we need the transforming, life-giving, eye-opening power of Christ. And so, one application that we can make is diligently pursue wisdom, diligently apply wisdom. Our flesh is going to continue to gravitate toward folly. Our flesh is going to continue to want to try things that we know have failed others. And even things that we know are forbidden by God's word. So we need to talk to ourselves. We need to speak to our hearts and convince ourselves every single day to believe that wisdom excels folly. We need to talk to ourselves and urge ourselves, exhort ourselves to walk in God's ways. Whether it's in our business dealings, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in questions of morality... God's word is truth, and we need to walk in it. We also need to learn to trust the things which, from our perspective, are chance, because they're not chance to God. There's a wonderful hymn in our hymnal that deals with providence, uh, whate'er my God ordains is right. But we've sung that many times. I chose a different hymn as our closing hymn tonight. Trust the things which from our perspective are chance, because to God they are not chance. Christ is ultimate wisdom. He is the very wisdom of God and his plan is perfect. And so in this hymn that we're about to sing, hymn number 109, verse three says, when my dim reason would demand why that or this thou dost ordain, by some deep, vast deep I seem to stand, whose secrets I must ask in vain. Verse 4, when doubts disturb my troubled breast and all is dark as night to me, here as on solid rock I rest, that so it seemeth good to thee.
In the end, wisdom can't deliver you from death. It's appointed for each of us to die, and after this comes judgment. Only one thing, only one person can deliver you in the day of judgment, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith in him, you can stand in the judgment. Your wisdom won't suffice, but Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for revealing Christ to us. Thank you for sending him into the world to save sinners. Thank you that he is your very wisdom, your very power. May we walk with him. May we live as those who are wise, those who are in the light, those who have their eyes in their heads. Lord, may your word shed light on our path. May it be a lamp to our feet. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus. And may we walk patiently with him and run with patience the race that he has set before us. We ask all this in his name. Amen.